0: Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Welcome back to TFR for a popular topic that's received a great deal of discussion lately. Jordan Knopf from Tusk Ventures joins us to talk niche and sector specialized funds. Tusk, of course, is one of the most specialized funds out there, providing regulatory expertise to early stage tech companies. There are a number of startups in their portfolio, including Uber, Lemonade, and FanDuel, that have had significant regulatory challenges. And it's been interesting for me to get to know Jordan and understand how these issues can be addressed at the early stages. In today's discussion, we cover the ways that firms specialize, thoughts on horizontal versus vertical specialties, why the trend towards specialization is growing so fast, the benefits and drawbacks of specialization. And finally, if it makes more sense for early or later stage firms to specialize. Here's part one of the interview with Jordan Knopf of Tusk Ventures. Today, we welcome Jordan Knopf from New York City. Jordan is head of investments at Tusk Ventures, where he oversees all aspects of the firm's venture capital investment practice. Jordan is an investment professional with significant experience in venture capital, private equity, and investment banking. Prior to Tusk, Jordan spent six years as a director at Blackstone, where he developed the firm's corporate venture capital portfolio, and he also led Blackstone Investments in real estate tech, financial tech, and cybersecurity companies. I've had the pleasure of knowing Jordan for a couple of years now, and I'm looking forward to having him share some of his great stories on the program here. Jordan, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Nick.
0: Absolutely. Let's start out. uh, Can you walk us through your background and how you got into VC? Uh,
1: Absolutely. So my uh, path to venture was, like many others, kind of uh, through the side window. So there's really no direct path into venture capital. Some people come in as entrepreneurs that have had successful exits. Some people just have been really, uh, entrenched in the venture capital ecosystem and, uh, really, uh, scratched their way into, into an analyst program. Mine was actually by way of, uh, financial services. So when I was at Blackstone was lucky enough to work for Bill Murphy, who's the CTO and actually was one of the co-founders of capital iq and basically was able to help carve out a role with him where uh, we were looking for early stage technology companies that we could use as part of our operations or the operations of our portfolio companies to accelerate growth and remain competitive at blackstone so gained access to a lot of uh, really interesting deals on enterprise software cybersecurity, commercial real estate technology and, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of how I was able to carve out a role for myself in it.
0: Awesome. And then how did that path kind of lead you to, to Tusk and, and what are you focused on at Tusk? Uh, absolutely.
1: So, uh, the introduction to Bradley, Came via an entrepreneur that I worked with and did a deal with at at Blackstone, uh, introduced me to Bradley. And after working at Blackstone and doing the corporate venture capital uh, investing for some time, definitely saw the advantages of being a strategic investor and that uh, the value that you bring to the entrepreneur and to uh, to the enterprise itself. So if I was going to leave, it was going to have to be for uh, something that was really unique and an opportunity to build something from the ground up. And so I found myself sitting there one day and, and, you know, critiquing various entrepreneurs and the businesses that they had built and acknowledging the fact that I had never done it myself. So met met Bradley, and uh, if you don't know Bradley, uh, he's is uh, quite possibly one of the most interesting people that I've ever met. Um, <laughs> yeah. He is uh, he has a skill set that I didn't even know existed. Uh, one that is very very hard to replicate, and uh, somebody that I thought you know I could definitely build a venture capital business around this, this person's ability to drive successful outcomes for companies in the way that a large corporate would. And so it, it you know, obviously takes a lot to leave uh, a firm like Blackstone, but uh, you know, I decided to take the leap of faith and, uh, you know, go and join Bradley and, and help build out this business.
0: Yeah. And while we're, we're on that point, can you tell us a little bit more about Bradley and, and who he is and, and um, kind of what his specialty is?
1: Sure. So Bradley is, uh, you know, comes from a very different background than myself or a lot of people that you have on, on this show. You know, my background is is obviously on, on the investment side. Uh, Bradley comes from the world of government and politics, and he has a, a background of he was deputy governor of Illinois. He was Chuck Schumer's communications director. He uh, ran Mike Bloomberg's successful uh, re-election campaign for his third term as mayor of New York. Afterwards, he actually started a political and regulatory advisory business that helps Fortune 200 companies uh, solve their most pressing uh, regulatory and political objectives. So that's either to capitalize on situations or, uh, you know, beat back entrenched interests. I've got a very lucky phone call in 2011 from a guy running a small transportation startup that uh, received a cease and desist letter in New York. That was Travis Kalanick at Uber. And actually became Uber's first political and regulatory consultant. Even luckier, Travis couldn't uh, afford to pay Bradley's fees in cash, so paid him in equity instead. So from
0: <laughs> I'll take it. If
1: you, if you were to go back to one of your previous episodes, we talked uh, you talked about portfolio construction and and uh, the the notion of the one uh, the, the one company portfolio definitely came up. So by, <laughs> that, by that definition, he would probably be the most successful investor of all time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's pretty and good. So how
1: can, how can you say no to that track record? Yeah, and for and sure. you know so so I saw the, you know here's the, this uh the, a guy who who ha- understands the the nuances of uh, regulation and and politics in a way that no one else does and uh I thought you know what this is uh this is something that that is uh, much more attractive than me just getting somebody my logo and, uh, you know, in making a few introductions. This is he's solving problems that are existential to companies, businesses.
0: Awesome. And th- that very much sort of colors the experience of, of Tusk now. Um, before we jump into the topic, can you can you give us a little bit about the firm's specialty? Um, I know it's, you know, one of the most unique specialties I've come across.
1: Uh, Absolutely. So what what Tusk Tusk Ventures does is the same thing that we're doing on the Tusk strategy side, but for startups. So we're leveling the playing field and providing a very high intensity, high touch model that is usually only uh, available to your larger companies, to the startup community. And basically by taking compensation on an advisory end in the form of equity instead of cash. So uh, it's leveling the playing field and really aligning interests with entrepreneurs to where if we're, we don't succeed, they don't succeed because we're getting paid solely in equity. It's one that uh, it's a, and there's a two part approach to it. So, you know, in addition to that, the advisory business, there's also uh, the uh, dedicated uh, venture Investment vehicle where we look to provide intellectual capital first to to entrepreneurs and and then you know uh, financial capital as well.
0: Awesome. Well, I pride myself on bringing some of the most unique approaches and unique minds to the show, so I'm very glad to have you here to talk about niche focuses and sector focused funds. So to start off on the topic, uh, Jordan, can you talk about maybe some of the categories and the way that you've seen funds specialize?
1: Uh, Absolutely. So if you you were to think about uh, niche focused or sector focused funds, your largest and most clear cut version of that is your corporate venture capital firms. So you have funds that are being born uh, within large institutions that are specifically seeking out companies that are potentially disrupting their current business model and they want to at least have an equity ownership in that. So that's like a defensive mechanism. Uh, And there's ones that are looking to use these early stage technology to help accelerate their businesses. So. We're seeing them all over in, in, in insurance technology. You see them out of a lot of the OEMs, the large, uh, automobile companies. You, you're seeing them, you know, uh, Intel is probably the one that, that most people, comes to mind, Samsung and so on. So you're seeing companies that are using their balance sheet and their ability to drive value to companies that are, that are playing in their area of their core business, um, to go a little bit uh, a little bit more granular, there are your vertical focused funds, and now the, these are comp- these are firms that are specializing in specific verticals and deploying capital specifically into their area of expertise. Typically, the managing partners of these firms have deep experience in these areas, and their their LP base consists of a lot of the corporates that have an interest in that. So you're seeing them pop up uh, in real estate. You're seeing them crop up in insurance, and for a very long time, we've seen them in the healthcare and biotech space. Yep. So that's uh, that's that's a I would call it the second type. And then your your third type is what I call your niche focused fund, and that's one that really kind of has the flexibility to cover all. Ver- so it's a horizontal strategy that has a niche specific strategic value add. Or is bridging a gap in financing that, that really kind of never existed before? So an example would be of the latter would be bullpen. So I, I, I love the bullpen guys. I think what they're doing is, is fantastic. They really were the first people to identify this pre-A financing need. And that applies across all verticals. But their niche is finding those companies that they can provide that that extra gas to get them to be a successful A round. Um, and that, that was a great example. And what we're doing is similar as well in the sense that we're not looking to identify at a specific stage, but we're looking for companies where we can add strategic value to help navigate or capitalize on specific regulatory or political situations that are arising. And that, that stems across all different verticals.
0: Got it. So this last category that the niche focus that could be geo, it could be stage, it could be strategy, um, could be more of a soft horizontal thing like like network effects or tech trends of some sort.
1: Uh, absolutely, it's. I think it's really you know there's there's the difference between kind of thematic investing in in areas that. You know, here's my investment thesis and I'm going to go out and, and really focus on marketplaces or I'm going to go out and focus on investing outside of Silicon Valley in New York and Boston. But that's that's not really you're not bringing the deep expertise to it. So I think the, the main way that you can bifurcate between a traditional VC or a, or a micro VC and a niche focused one is the strategic value add that they bring to the table. So if if they can help navigate a specific environment, or if they can help bridge a gap of financing with consistent success, then I would call that a niche.
0: Interesting. Yeah, because I do see some VCs talking about their thesis, other VCs talking about themes, and sometimes there's some overlap. They're not you know, clearly delineated between the two. And so. Um, uh,
1: absolutely. And I think, you know, that's that's necessary. You have, you know, you're going to market if you're raising a fund, you have to have an investment thesis, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. you know, you have to have that it's something that you're that you're looking for and and they can be vague, but, you know, they're not really mandates. You know, I find myself whenever I'm meeting with an entrepreneur, one of the first things that that I say is if me writing a check is the most valuable thing that I can bring, this probably isn't going to work out. Because I need to know that I can drive value here. I need to know that I can help uh, de-risk your company or I can help you grow. Or else I'm just throwing darts at a
0: dartboard. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I mean, we've seen this, you know, this rise of niche-focused and specialty-focused funds. Um, you know, I'm a guilty party myself. Newstack Ventures Fund 1 is—it has a specialty focus on IoT, um, proudly guilty. Right. (laughs) But, um, you know, Jordan, are you seeing this as like a new trend that's just emerging now, or is this something that's, that's always existed?
1: I think it's, you know, it, this is a trend that, that has really picked up for several reasons. Uh, you know, I think that it's existed before almost all venture firms start out as a micro VC. There's a lot of funds that you look back that, you know, they were five, $10 million funds, that are now very, very large. but at this point, I think the barriers to entry to creating your own venture fund are the lowest that they've probably ever been. Uh, I think that now we're at a point where there's been performance, uh, you know there's there's research out there to support that first-time funds and emerging managers should be playing a vital role in LP's portfolios. You know these are young, hungry, innovative investment models that, you know, have have played a significant role in the ecosystem for some time and have, now there's research to prove it. So it's something that's gaining steam and I don't think it's going to go away. We've seen fundraising be at an all time high right now, especially with your established funds that have raised astronomical amounts of money. Yep. Um, and to effectively deploy that capital, their checks need to be bigger and bigger, and so the role that these specialty and niche focused funds play—you know—we can take positions in companies that are meaningful in terms of a fund size that's a hundred million dollars or less—that uh, makes LPs very happy and meaningful in terms, you know, providing guidance and uh, to the entrepreneurs and value add to them as if they're not just one of a hundred investments.
0: Well, I mean, you touched on this and. You know, from my experience, I live in an area with a ton of generalists. Um, you know, the Chicago and the greater Midwest has a lot of generalist VCs. What are some other reasons why you're seeing the the emergence of these of so many specialized investors?
1: Uh, you know, I, I think that there's benefits and there's drawbacks to, to being a specialized investor, right? And, and I think that some of them include, you know, you're gaining access. A, be, a major benefit is that you're gaining access to deals that uh, could be highly competitive. But because you understand that area and you you're a different voice on the you're a different voice to the company and you provide a, a different value add than the traditional VC does. Uh, and that's something that's really valuable to entrepreneurs. And having you on the cap table would uh, really makes a lot of sense from a strategic standpoint. So that, that access uh, where you, you kind of you, get, you, you finagle your way into, into those deals and you hustle your way into those deals that would be you know, shut off to, the, to, to a traditional. Yeah. Um, I think that, that also having this tighter mandate reduces a lot of the deal flow noise that you see. A lot of time is spent looking at every single investment and by kind of constraining what you're looking at, you can really kind of, you end up by nature becoming an expert in that vertical or in that niche. And uh, it's something where you understand the ecosystem and you're also able to focus on an area and eliminate a lot of noise because uh, half of the battle is, is really getting through the funnel uh, and eliminating deals uh, as quickly as possible. I think that really the value add that you're able to provide is something that, that's important. And uh, you know, one thing that often is overlooked is the fact that as the portfolios evolve, there is a ton of opportunity for knowledge sharing between those portfolio companies of a niche or a sector focused fund. So because they are working to overcome some particular issue or they are in the same ecosystem, there are a lot of synergies to be had there. And the collaboration between the portfolio companies is something that that's uh, accretive creative for for all parties.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, wouldn't when you have that specialty focus, you're you're not only able to evaluate and source much more effectively on the deal flow side, but you're able to help the companies that you do invest in, right? You can help accelerate them to the next round and, and achieve the milestones because you're speaking their language and you've looked at a bunch of companies that are like them. You know, I, I have trouble understanding how some of the generalists are able to operate efficiently uh, when you're investing in every sector and every geo and every type of tech, um, you know, how can you really be an expert in all those things and assess the deals and then also help the, the portcos once you've invested?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's, you bring up a great point there about, you know, the value add not only to the portfolio companies, but to the venture capital ecosystem in general. So- if you have, if you're a specialist in field, you collaborate very well. You play very well in the sandbox with other VCs yep. and you, you want to be positioned as uh, you know, the firm that, you know, I want to call Nick whenever I want an opinion on this, this particular deal. If I am working at, at a benchmark or at, at Sequoia and I have a huge fund, I want an opinion and I want your help diligencing this deal. Cause you know it best.
0: Sure. There's some, very large firms that uh, they used to not know what to send me i would I had great relationships with them, and you know they would get deals that were too early for them, and they wouldn 't know what to send me so they wouldn 't send me anything and Then when I started yeah. clearly messaging not only to the entrepreneurs out there like here 's what I like and here 's what I invest in, but also clearly messaging to the the downstream larger investors, I started getting a ton more deal flow targeted deal flow in those areas.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's a great way. It's a, and it's a way I think that, you know, just to tie that back to the, the evolution of this industry, I think that the larger venture firms are starting to realize there's a great utility to, to having the niche focused funds and uh, vertical focused funds out there just as a part of the process of, of evaluating deals that they're they're contemplating because they're not looking to deploy the, the same level of capital. They're happy to take the, you know, just a portion of the strategic carve out that's left over. They don't need to win the deals to effectively create a portfolio. So I, I think that it's one that the traditionals are starting to embrace and uh, you know that, that entrepreneurs are starting to see a lot of value uh, being created by them.
0: I think you're right. Cool. Um, any other benefits of sort of niche and sector focused funds that you want to touch on?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's an inherent information asymmetry that's that's happening uh, that's informing the decisions of niche and uh, vertical uh, niche and sector focused funds that can come in various ways, whether that's your LP base uh, that is, you know, let's say you have you're an, an insurance focused you know sector fund and you went out and raised money from a bunch of insurance companies to deploy into the space. You're going to have Information asymmetry is—you can just pick up the phone, call the LPs, and say, "Would you use this product? (laughs) Is this something (laughs) that it's it's, a—it's—it's a very, uh, very clear advantage that that you'd have also into kind of the thought process that's going on behind these corporate monsters that uh, potentially can be your strategic acquirers, your largest customers, and really are going to create the market leader. Uh, I think that there's uh, there's various ways for firms to capitalize on it. Now, with all that being said, there there's some drawbacks to to being a, a specific or a, a niche or a single sector fund. You know, obviously there's the lack of diversification that comes with that. Um, you need to be very careful about uh, not conflicting yourself out by taking competing positions in companies that you know. I think that. The pride that that we bring to the table about driving value is would be diminished if obviously we were taking compete we were just doing a spray and pray approach and taking (laughs) uh, you know the rising tide will uh, will take care of all of the boats that I have at bay. (laughs) So it's um it's one that 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 you know that can be navigated, but attention needs to be paid to it. And then also, as we talked about earlier, the the lack of of noise, the reduction of uh, deals that don't really fit your mandate. Uh, could potentially result in a lack of opportunities because your your investment criteria is too tight. Once again, that's something that's completely manageable by the fund or the the manager themselves and, and kind of making sure that that they're not creating too niche of, a, of, a, of an opportunity. Um, and you know, lastly, I think that sectors can get hot and cold pretty quickly. And uh, the potential to produce outsized returns for a, a fund that's focused on cybersecurity, or you pick a vertical, um, yeah. those sectors can overheat pretty quickly, and. Um, yeah, you there's there's definitely a risk of having uh, uh, difficulty going back to market for fun, too. So it's a little bit too early to, to see that play out. But I think that just as everybody's a generalist to avoid this problem, you know, you can become a, an expert in something else over the course of a fund, uh, not over the course of a year.
0: Right. While we're talking about drawbacks, you know, I hear a lot of folks saying that they don't specialize because they're worried about not getting enough deal flow, or not being able to invest when they they find something great that's in maybe a sector that's that's not in their target area. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts on this perspective?
1: So we are uh, we're opportunistic investors. So while it would behoove me to only deploy capital into deals where there's a cl- very tightly aligned in my mandate where I see the value add. We're going to be this is going to be a, a, a mutually beneficial relationship from the get go. Yeah, makes complete strategic sense. You want to have that ability to say, all right, here's an entrepreneur that I worked with before that is an amazing person. This, and I. <laughs> this is a great example of it. You know, I asked Bradley, if Travis Kalanick came back to you and said, I got this idea. How far into that sentence would you say I'm in? And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you you don't know how they're going to do it. There's there's we all know these entrepreneurs that are out there that we've worked with where you've worked so well with them and they've been able to accomplish so much. At the end of the day, you're you're investing in the person. So you want to have that flexibility And every I think I think every venture firm out there has either what they're going to call an opportunistic bucket or, uh, you know, kind of a reserve set aside that their LPs are okay with that that are that's geared towards exceptions.
0: Yep, Yeah. I got the same thing. I strategically lead lead deals in my focus area, but opportunistically, I can follow on some others. At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. um anything else on on drawbacks that you see of niche focused funds
1: i mean you know i think that it's it's one that is you know obviously the fundraising component is difficult and so you see you know niche focused funds that it's kind of harder for them to get born uh first-time funds that are going to market you know no specific track record trying to work in an area that's not proven out yet that you know they, could, even if they've had an amazing success at a different firm, this is a new investment thesis that they're coming up with. Uh, and so people want to see track record there. That's a drawback, but that's one that can be overcome. Um, I think that that ah uh, really, uh, at the end of the day, weighing the benefits versus the drawbacks, obviously, I'm biased here. Uh, but I think that we're gonna see, We're going to see some strong performance out of uh, out of these these focused, uh, you know, funds that that's going to continue into the future. And I think that it's going to continue to play a bigger role in the ecosystem.
0: Sure. Well, we've kind of talked around this, but what are your thoughts on how appropriate it is to specialize at early versus late stages um, and and or if uh, maybe stages is irrelevant?
1: Uh, so, I mean, I think that it's different for every investor. I think that personally, I, I mean, I can just talk about our approach and our view is that we are stage agnostic completely opportunistic because of the horizontal value add that we have. So there's companies that we can help at various stages and, uh, you know, whether that is a a late stage company, like, like your FanDuel back to, you know, or earlier stage, whenever we first started working with companies like Lemonade. And so it's, it's, uh, it's one that I look at the portfolio as I'm trying to accumulate a valuable pool of assets and they come in all different shapes, sizes, and flavors. And as long as it meets the portfolio construction return profile that I'm looking for, you know, I, I don't want to limit the stage that I can get involved in.
0: Got it. But it, fair to say there's more specialization going on earlier than, than later.
1: I think I think that's definitely the case, and for your for what we're seeing out there right now, that that's a function of some of the the focuses that you know you've got a deep understanding of a vertical. What's going to work? What's not going to work? You can easily identify companies that are doing something different. For example, in IoT, you could easily identify companies that are doing things that are really really different. Operating in a white space at an early stage, better than a generalist good. Yeah. Um, or if you're focused in a specific geo, then you know the ecosystem, you know the people that are there, uh, you know what, what people are working on from an earlier stage, and it's a great opportunity. Other ones, you know, we see it where we're, we're helping solve problems that are... Brought at a moment when something happens on the regulatory front uh, and, you know, we need to step in and and help navigate it at a instrumental moment in the company's uh, lifetime. So that's like a a FanDuel example. Mm -hmm. Um, Or or there's the times whenever you have and this is a shift that we've seen people take as entrepreneurs and as investors where they want to take a more proactive approach to understanding the, the regulatory and political risk associated with the deal. And um, you know they want to use that to capitalize on an opportunity. The, we see this a lot with companies that are maybe Series A or Series B that are, are first to market and want to accelerate that growth to really take control and make sure there's no no fast followers that end up taking some of their market share.
0: Got it. And you guys are investors in in Fanduel. Uh, yes, we are. Can Can you talk about that situation at all? I find that that really interesting, and it makes a lot of sense that that Tusk would be would be an investor considering some of the, uh, the regulatory component that, that they're having to deal with?
1: Well, so I can't go into too much detail here on, on you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, on, the, on the, the role that we played in, in, in that situation. But I think that it's it's a great case study in the sense that a very fast growing white space industry, and this is something that excites me about the, you know the, the investment thesis that we have here is that people are chasing, trying to find new verticals all the time. Right. And this is kind of a broader investment thesis that I've always had that startups fall into one of two buckets. They're either helping solve a pain point inherent within an industry or they are changing the way that people are thinking, consumers are behaving and helping solve problems that nobody knew that they had. Right. We wouldn't have been talking about this pre 2009 that there's a major problem that because I, I don't want to stand in the rain and hail a cab I'd much rather do that with my phone um, <laughs> you know that, and so here are these companies that are growing at uh, at a rate that was unimaginable at the time in an industry that nobody really knew how to how to approach it there was no there was no regulatory body there and so that's that inherently uh, we were attracted to obviously because. There's a tremendous opportunity to be be the good actor, come in and proactively take the stance about how do you ensure the effective regulation here. And it's also the type of company that people are passionate about daily fantasy sports, just like they are with Uber. So, you know, you will you can sit there and mobilize a, a user base to to speak out on behalf of 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 the you know the product that they want. So uh, it's one that that was very interesting that that we're still we're still engaged with the the management team over there is is spectacular and we're we're really proud of, of uh, you know the accomplishments that they've made you know and the progress that they've made so far so we'll see this continue uh, to play out state by state but uh, we're we're on the right track.
0: Awesome. So daily fantasy sports we've we've touched on that but uh, you know given the regulatory environment today. Any other specific verticals that you find particularly compelling? (music) Had a great time there chopping it up with Jordan in part one. In part two, we discuss the sectors that are most compelling due to the current regulatory environment. Jordan's thoughts on reacting to existing regs versus getting involved in the creation of new regulation. We also discuss the ways that Tusk specializes and provides value to their startups. And finally, we get Jordan's advice for investors and entrepreneurs regarding today's topic. Please do tune in for part two of the interview as we go much deeper on the what, why, and how of Tusk Ventures regulatory focus. Until then, remember to overprepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. We'll see you again soon.